ten words from heaven, that if we were to centre on them, to reorder our lives around them, to allow their truth to embed at the depths of our lives, not in a ritualistic, legalistic way, but in an open-hearted, deep commitment to the God who gave them. The Bible says it would be like heaven on earth. And as we pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so we pray, Lord God, that these ten words would affect us and touch us and change us and reorder our lives according to your greater purpose. Ten words then that would bring heaven to earth. This week is the word from heaven about uh, the Sabbath. The concept of a special day different from the other six. But what is it? A blessing or a burden? It was designed as a blessing. God longed to bless His people and gave them a gift that by the time Jesus came had been reduced to quite a heavy burden. Instead of being a day to celebrate, to embrace, to enjoy, to relax, the religious people had made it a day full of rules and obligation, regulation. It was oppressive and restrictive. Such is religious people's love of rules. But by the time of Jesus, they decided that given that this command had 39 Hebrew letters, that it should stand for 39 categories of work that must be banned on the Sabbath. And that each of the 39 categories should have 39 subcategories of work banned on the Sabbath. So there were 1,521 rules or things that you must not do on the Sabbath. They became obsessed with rules and legalism. It was a day of do not or else. And you can see the power of this religious, ritualistic, legalistic mindset when this man with a withered hand cannot be healed because of their rules. What kind of God had they come to believe in? What kind of day had they come to celebrate that was supposed to be lived in His honour? A day of do not or else. And I say that by way of introduction because some of you, some of us, were brought up, I was to a certain extent, in that same spirit. The Sabbath was a day of don'ts. Don't play out the front. Don't play at all. Don't watch the TV or listen to the radio. Know this or that. Even the budgie had his swing removed, lest he might enjoy himself on God's special day and somehow bring dishonour to the family home. For many, Sunday was the most boring, most oppressive day of them all. And we wonder what it said about God. A day scarred by negatives. In fact, in the 17th century in Scotland, a poor wretch was taken to court for smiling on the Sabbath. Behaviour deemed totally inappropriate. But there again, that's the Scots for you. (laughs) Joke. Joke. Just a bit of fun. (laughs) Joke. But you know, some of you, what I'm talking about 
Sunday was this day that was hemmed in and crushed on every side. It was not a day to to be spacious and free, but a day to be constrained and therefore holy. As if somehow our our constraining, uh, clipping of our wings was a celebration of the God that we believed in. How easily a blessing became a burden. And that's what Jesus is addressing in this passage that Helen read to us. In fact, some of Jesus' strongest confrontations were around this whole issue of Sabbath. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. For mankind. It was there to bless. It was there to create space. It was there to bring freedom. Not the fact that there is this thing called the Sabbath and therefore men and women should be constrained by it. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Not surprisingly, our society has rejected the Sabbath with all of its negative thou shalt nots. And today, in many aspects of our national life, it makes no difference whether it be Friday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. And increasingly across all areas, Sunday is getting completely uh, uh, mixed in with everything else. So we have on the one hand this Christian heritage that so often taught that Sabbath is dull and boring and restrictive and constraining. And on the other hand, we have a, a world out there that says don't worry about it at all. It's got nothing to offer the modern man or woman. Into that mix, this word from heaven comes. A blessing or a burden? I wonder if you grab the Bibles in front of you and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, page 78, if you're using a Bible in uh, the pew, page 78. Exodus 20 and uh, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The first thing that the Sabbath provides is rhythm. Rhythm. You shall have six days to do your work, and on the seventh you shall rest. A rhythm. A rhythm that came from where? Notice how at the end of this command, verse 11, we are told clearly where the rhythm came from. The rhythm came from the way the world was made. A rhythm built in to creation itself. Because for six days, the Lord made. But then He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. A, a, a rhythm that had at its foundation, that had at its beginnings, the way God created our world to be. Later in Exodus, uh, later in Exodus, the language is even more provocative. Exodus 31, verse 17. 
For in six days, it's on the screen, don't bother going flicking for it, I'll move on in a minute. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he abstained from work and rested. We lose the power in our English. Literally, it says, God got his breath back. Incredible, well, it's been described as a very daring anthropomorphic verse. That we should put this attribute on God that he needed this rhythm in his world, in his being. And this rhythm that was in God was reflected in creation that is ultimately reflected in the way we were made to live. A rhythm of six and one. Just as an aside, have you noticed in this series how so much, how so many of these words go right back to the way God made us? God made us to have faithfulness in relationships. Uh, Why? Because God himself is faithful. Therefore, do not commit adultery. And so we could go on with all of them. Rooted in creation, the way we were made, which in turn is rooted in the very way, person, character of God. And so there's this rhythm of seven, six, and then one. But that's not the only rhythm that we know about. We know that our lives have a rhythm of day and night and day and night. And you know you cannot mess with that rhythm without it causing a severe malfunction of your life. Occasionally, for circumstances, you may try and break the rhythm. You might stay up all night and survive the next day. But you are acutely aware as you do that, that you were not made to function that way. There is a rhythm to your coming and your going, your waking and your sleeping, your waking and your sleeping. In fact, sleep deprivation is a very effective method of torture because it is not the way we were made to be. So if God's ordained some rhythms, rhythms in God, rhythms in creation, rhythms for us, We wouldn't think of messing around with the night and day. So why are we so quick, maybe, to think we can mess around with the six and the one? In 1789, after the French Revolution, an attempt was made to introduce a new calendar in France. A new calendar that would divorce the associations of the calendar with any biblical or Christian or religious uh, pattern or, 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 or sequence. They took the 365 days, therefore, and divided it up into 12, 30 segments, 12 months of 30 days, and the rhythm was 10, 9 and 1. The nine days of work, you could have one day off. And then the five remaining days to make the 365 were public holidays. It was a complete disaster. And in 1806, it was abandoned. People could not live by that rhythm we might not be surprised by that. Built into the way God made us to be. This rhythm provides rest in a world where we face relentless drive. How often do we say, I'm too busy, it's all go, there's never enough time. Where did the time go? And there are so many more phrases like that for me to share with you, but I haven't got time this morning to do it. We've never got time. Slaves, as it marches relentlessly on, the hourly chime of our watches and town hall clocks, the calendar of day and night and day, the change in the seasons, the birth of a baby, the death of an old friend, constant reminders that time just keeps ticking 
on and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. So it goes on. It does not stop. The tick-tock of our lives continues unabated. And it's not that we haven't tried to master it. We live in a world full of time-saving devices. Your house and mine is full of things designed to save us time. And we bought them, promising ourselves that they would save us time. Shops are full of provisions to make life easier and quicker. Instant meals and instant coffee and instant barbecues and instant whip and instant cleaning with Mr. Muscle who loves the jobs you hate. Instant travel and instant credit and instant communication. Everything is instant and we get more and more restful because of all the time that we now have. No. No, the more we try and master it, the more the internal drive in our lives seems to crank up. You look at that little corner in your computer screen and see the data coming in and wonder why that attachment takes so long. Five seconds maybe. Or ten. We've done nothing to cure the drive. We've made it worse maybe. The culture of endless doing where rest can become nothing more than time wasting. And we kid ourselves that it's not taking its toll. We doctors, in the treatment of nervous diseases, are now constantly compelled to prescribe periods of rest. Some periods are, I think, only Sundays in arrears. A religious education class in South East London was asked which commandment did they consider to be the most important. Almost unanimously and without much hesitation, they all agreed it was thou shalt not murder. That was the most important commandment. Then asked, which is the least? The least, with almost without hesitation, was this Sabbath one, keeping the Sabbath holy, whatever that might have meant to them. The next question was, which commandment has taken the greatest number of lives and had the greatest effect on health in our Western world? Suddenly they weren't quite so sure. And then some made a tentative suggestion that it was the command, thou shalt not kill. But of course we know what the real answer is. The pressure of the life that we try to live is almost literally killing us. And God says, there's this gift. There's this gift to regulate the pace of my life. We can act like rest is an unwanted intrusion into our otherwise successful achievements. Goal setting. But it's a huge mistake. We can refuse to rest because we have so much to do. We've all said that. I can't possibly take a break because I have so much to do. But then we become so tired that we're unable to do it as productively and as efficiently as we should. So it takes more time. So we have even more to do. So we cannot rest all the more. And round it goes. And round it goes, like hamsters on a wheel. And God says, hey, take a break. Take a break. 
Take a break even when the pressure in your life is really on. Six days you shall labour, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the ploughing season and harvest you must rest. How important is the ploughing and the harvesting in that culture? You could not get a moment that is more important. And God says, even at that most important time, even when it seems to you so utterly essential for your well-being, don't forget the rhythm. Take a break. Take a break. Don't forget the rhythm. There is a God-ordained time when the student's book should remain shut, when the teacher's marking should be left, when the lawyer's files should be kept unopened and the worker's overalls still on the hanger. It's a day to leave it all behind, but our natural reaction is we're not sure that we can anymore. I'd never be ready to work on Monday if I didn't do something on Sunday evenings or afternoons or mornings or whatever. And I know it's incredibly complicated and difficult these days. And I know that the demands that are placed upon us in the workplace are unacceptable most probably and inappropriate. But my journey, just a little part of my journey has been about trust in this area. And it's something that I struggle with every single day. One example, you see, for many years, I thought I could not possibly preach on a Sunday morning without working late on a Saturday night and getting up early on a Sunday morning. Despite the unacceptable pressure that sometimes put on me, and maybe even more on my family, I could not see how that could be done. I was caught in this cycle. I haven't got enough time. I can't rest. I'm not as efficient. Blah, blah, blah. Round it goes. But then people that love me enough to say, hey, there must be a better way. There must be a better way. And I knew because people who nudged me and loved me said, you can do this differently. And I heard that whisper from heaven and said, maybe if God's in this, maybe I can do this differently, but I cannot see it, understand it, or believe it. And so for me, it became a matter of trust. I could not understand being ready on a Sunday without working really hard on a Saturday night. Despite all the work I'd done in the week. It became a matter of trust to be ready for a Sunday. Now I'm not going to tell you when that change took place in case you think my sermons took an all-time dive at that particular period of time. So that's a great secret. But I want to tell you, one day, at the beginning of a series, I said, I'm not going to do that. And I honestly didn't understand how that would work. But I knew that I couldn't carry on the way that it was. So just that wasn't honouring and blessing anybody, not least those I love most. And I dare to say that God honoured that. It's an issue of trust at the end of the day. Because sometimes I say I can't and God says, Simon, you've got enough time to do what really matters. And he'll take care of the rest. Or we can try and work it all out ourselves and we can't get the page to add up with all the things that need to be done and the time's just not big enough. And why was it only six days? How thick was God? Why was it only 24 hours? Why didn't he just stretch it a bit more? And God says, no, rhythm. There's a rhythm. There's a rhythm. I've made you to live by a rhythm. My question is, do you live in the rhythm that's coming from heaven? Do you live in the rhythm that God is setting? We're called to be like children, aren't we? Jesus says it's much easier sometimes to be like a child in your response. When my children discover they have an extra day off work, off school, they're jubilant. 
There is an inner sense of natural joy and appreciation that they do not have to face the pressure and the demands of a normal school day and the responsibilities of it. When God says once a week, day off for everyone, we kind of go, oh, 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 do we? I'm not sure, can't, maybe not, whoa. It's about rhythm. So the Sabbath provides for rhythm and rest, but also for uh, relationship. If you've still got that Exodus 20 open, you'll see in verse 10 that the emphasis is on relationship. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, but neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. It couldn't get any more expansive than that. Everybody, even the foreigner that's not part of your religion and may not even worship your God, bring them into the blessing. This was something to do together, whoever you were, the master or the maid, the mistress or the manservant. It provided for relationship, which is perfectly in keeping with so many of these words from heaven that have relationship at their core. The Jews understood the importance of this. As each Sabbath, they gathered their whole family together for the meal. We're connectedness, we're sharing of life, we're remembering, remembering, sorry, and reminiscing with the important parts of their time together. This was no fast food. And in our age, where the family meal has declined over the last few decades, as my comments about the OXO family advert last week implies, we also see on Sundays the losing of that family being able to stop together. And it's taking its toll on our relationships. It only works, this Sabbath principle, if the overwhelming majority of people can stop at the same time. Whilst having a day of rest in the week might keep your rhythm, it does nothing to enhance your relationships, especially if your friends and family are working and your children are at school. So the emphasis is on here, this one day together, all stop, which makes it possible for everyone else to stop so we can all relate. Now I know that there are absolutely no easy answers today as to how to make that work in our homes and with our families. We're up against it, our backs are against the wall. But we do need to be alert and wise about our decisions recognizing what was in God's heart when he gave us this opportunity to stop together. Am I in the decisions that I do have control over, that I am making, grasp the principles enshrined in this Sabbath word? Our evening services consultation uh, a few months ago was, I think, really wholesome in this regard because we were able to acknowledge together time for other things, particularly friends and family, that was of high value for the way we should spend our Sabbath. So the Sabbath, it's rhythm and it's rest and it's relationship. And fourthly, of course, it's remembrance. The Bible teaches us, I believe, that there are two key things to remember on the Sabbath. Two things that are so important for your life and mine that God says, I want you every seventh day to stop and make sure you remember this stuff. And we've looked at one of them 
already, or at least part of it. You see, Exodus chapter 20, if you've still got it open, uh, verse 11 points us back to creation. Sabbath is an opportunity to remember our part in the world that God has made. That we might never be tempted to forget that our lives are part of a bigger story. That we might never forget that God's gift to us is life. That the life we live is a gift of a loving God. And to love and to be loved is His gift from heaven. To run and to laugh and to dance and to sing and to touch and to smell and to feel. His gift for our lives. The beauty of the world, His gift to us. The wonder of nature, the autumn leaves, the spring sunshine, the crisp, frosty morning. All His for us. And on our Sabbaths, our breaking from work to rest for a day is an opportunity to remember as we mimic how God made this world that we are part of this great, big, glorious creation that He has made for us to enjoy and for us to uh, flourish in in which He has given us such space. It's a day to look up, to look out and soak in all that we are a part of, the gift we've been given, the way we've been made. When I was in sixth form, my best friend's father, a GP, had gone out for an evening cycling. He was passionate about cycle racing, drop handlebars, head down, and so on and so forth. And he went out that night to clear his head after a day at work, and he pounded the road, and he pushed the wheels, uh, the pedals round relentlessly as he drove uh, along Eastern Avenue in Cardiff, straight into the back of a park lorry, and was instantly killed. You cannot live life with your head down and survive. You must look up. You must see what you're a part of. You must understand your place in the bigger story. You must look out and see this glorious world that God has made, and how He calls you and invites you to share in this adventure, this journey with Him. Sometimes we're head down, pounding the wheels, pushing us forward. Hey, it's a dangerous thing. And God says, I give you Sabbath. I give you a day every seven to make sure you look up and remember your Creator and your part in creation. But you'll say, hey, that's not the whole story of creation. I look out, I don't see a glorious, wonderful world. Uh, Especially today, I see a a world ravaged by war. I see the inhumanity of man to man. I see poverty and disease and oppression. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why the second thing to remember, the second gift of remembrance God gave us for the Sabbath, was that He's the God that rescues us. And when they were writing all this up in Deuteronomy, trying to make sense of it and understand it, we have remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Then it goes on, because the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt with His mighty hand and His outstretched arm. Therefore observe the Sabbath day. It was a day to stop and remember how God had rescued them from all that held them in slavery. The great theological themes of our lives are creation and our redemption. Our creation and our recreation are to be on our hearts and on our lips every seventh day. God says, observe the Sabbath. Remember what you were and all that I've rescued you from. 
the God who is and will make all things new. Is this, I wonder, why Jesus healed so many people on the Sabbath? He couldn't get away from the fact that that day above all days was about rescue and healing and salvation and wholeness and everything that was good about the God of heaven. And so a man with a withered hand, maybe he even dared wait from the Friday to the Saturday because it was the day of all days for the glory and wonder of God to be made known. It's the day for us to look up, to look out, to be renewed, refreshed and revived. And you cannot remember without acknowledging that the Sabbath provides opportunity for reverence. A time for worship. And I don't mean reverence in its locked-in religious sense, which is uh, all austere and awkward and somehow oppressive. But reverence in the sense of awe and wonder and astonishment and amazement and all the other synonyms of reverence that there are. A day to stand in awe at the wonder of a God who loved and gave, who loved and gave, who loved and gave, who loves and gives still. The God that rescued us. A day to know deep in our being A day to have it fill our gaze and reorder our lives in worship and in adoration. Keep the Sabbath a day for sacred assembly. It's not a gift. It's a gift rather not to be taken lightly. Without the gift of gathering to worship, to get our lives reordered and refocused, Christians wither and die. Of course, for Christians, it so quickly became a Sunday. The first day of the week, the day of resurrection. And our presence here today, on a Sunday, is a visual reminder to every single one of us. Because Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, I will be there. His presence here with us, a visual reminder, a real demonstration that what actually happened in history over 2,000 years ago is actually still a reality now. That Jesus who was dead and is back then alive, is alive still in our lives. A day of wonder and worship. He's alive. He's alive. And he will stay alive to bring it all to an end. I'd urge you to make the gathering of the assembly of the people of God on a Sunday your utmost priority. A gift. And out of remembrance and worship, finally, there's the opportunity to recommit. It's about pausing and lifting our gaze that we might see our lives in their proper perspective and that we might recommit ourselves. Why? Because verse 10 tells us so clearly, if you still have it open in front of you, that it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's about Him, not you. About Him, not you. And as you refocus in worship and wonder, so we recommit our lives for all that lies ahead. To recenter our lives on God, to reevaluate our priorities in the light of his presence. William Wilberforce is remembered as uh, the British MP who, after years of struggle, brought forward and passed legislation to ban slavery. As a Christian, he felt that it was never right for him to work on Sundays. However, within a few years, he'd made quite a name for himself and was tipped for high position in cabinet. Wilberforce was flattered. 
It began, as he reflects, to go to his head. Pride began to rise within him. However, he writes in his diary, after resting on the following Sunday, he wrote these words, these earthly things assume their true size. The Sabbath is a gift that the things of life might assume their proper perspective. In fact, in a different vein, he wrote in his diary years later after many of his contemporaries had uh, lost uh, or been broken, as he put it, under the power of or the pressure of politics. He writes, with peaceful Sundays, the strings would never have snapped as they did from over-tension. Sabbath, the day to recommit, to reorder, to reassess, to re-evaluate, to reprioritize. A gift from heaven to bless, not to burden. To help us flourish, not to clip our wings. What do you do with the gift? What do you do with the gift? What do you do with the gift? Let's pray.